today. We uh, begin uh, what will mount about a three, four-week sermon series. For those of you that have been coming to our church, you know that we preach through the books of the Bible, chapters of the Bible. We don't do topical, thematic things, although once in a while we'll do that. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend four weeks on Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Okay? So there's your intro. Let's go. Chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 1. What we're going to do today is just kind of set the table for you. We're going to hit some major themes. And then as we always do, come back each week, go through verse by verse. And go through together as a church body some powerful truths. I am not exaggerating when I say that what we are going to talk about for the next four weeks are foundational anchoring truths to what makes new community. You will hear similar themes. You will hear new themes that you haven't heard in a while. But without exaggeration, at the heart of Colossians 3 is what we in our church believe is the key for transformation, change, spiritual growth, living the Christian life. Verse 1, then... You have been, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So one of the foundational things we are immediately struck with is this question. Who or what is your life? Who or what is your life? Another way to say, who or what defines you? Who or what enables you to look at yourself in the mirror when you wake up in the morning? Who or what gives you significance, identity, worth, approval? acceptance and we talk about this a lot in our church because everything everything in life that ails us is because of this is about this the reason why we are depressed anxious worried fearful is because there is something operating in your life operating in my life that is too important for you that is your life and that is my life it's our righteousness. It's our peace. All our problems come from this question. Who or what is your life? Is it Christ? Is it something else? And regardless of what we say, we believe intellectually, this is the essence of the Christian life. Spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. is coming to a place where we can say with our hearts, with our lives, Christ is my life. Christ is my life. When I look at who he is and when I look at what he has done for me, you know, I really like you. And I might want to be married to you. But you are not my life. Christ is my life. And I set my mind on things above. Church, are you with me? You're a good thing, but you're not an ultimate thing. I don't mind having a good career. Careers are good things. 
But a career is not my life. A career doesn't define me. Who I am, where I'm at, what I'm doing in my job doesn't give me what I ultimately need. Frankly, if I live for my career and I fail at it, it'll beat me up for the rest of my life. And I'll be devastated if I fail Christ. He died for me to forgive me. Who or what is your life? Then starting in verses 5 through 17, Paul begins listing one command after another. Imperatives, if you will, to change our behavior. (laughs) And a lot of us grew up in churches where this is all we heard. Can somebody say amen? This is all we heard. We came to church and passed open the Bible. It's like, so whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, stop it. By the way, um, anybody struggle with lust, sexual morality? Anybody? Okay, that, that is a, your, I raised my hand with my heart, right? Okay. How many of us struggle with greed? Just curious. Anybody? Really? Okay. Come on. Verse 6, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, you used to walk in, these life, in the, walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Verse 8, but now you must also rid yourselves of all these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Verse 9, don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Verse 10, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. And this is radical language. Paul uses radical language. He's saying everybody makes changes. All of us, there's some point in our lives where we'll take off or put off certain behaviors, certain belief systems, certain practices, and you put on new ones. But what Paul is talking about here is so much more radical, so much more transformational. He's literally saying put off your old self and put on the new self. He is deliberately getting to the issue of identity. Reminder. Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about total transformation. Amen? Christianity is not about you become a Christian, you change that and stop knowing that. No, no. Christianity is about the life of Christ coming in us and us being enfolded into Christ. And the result is a total transformation. And if you miss that part and you think becoming a Christian is just about changing a little this, changing a little that, you miss the entirety of what Christ came to do. Verse 11, here there's no Jew, Gentile, circumcised, or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Verse 12, therefore, Constance says, therefore, therefore, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Constance says, how many of you guys would like more of these characteristic traits in your life? Would your marriage be healthier if you had more of these in your life? Would your relationships be better? It's a no-brainer. All of us are sitting here going, I'd like more of that. I would like to be more of that. I'd like to resemble that. I like All of us know that these are parts of God's character that we want more of in our lives. The question is, how do you get there? Verse 13, bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. 
Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Head verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All God's people say, I see, we read that, and we're like, wow, that, that's beautiful, that's amazing. I want to be like, here's the thing. Verses 5 to 17 are filled with what we call commands or imperatives. And they specifically get to things about changing our behavior. But Paul doesn't begin there. Do you see that? He doesn't begin with. So Christian, therefore, don't be sexually immoral. Don't be lustful. He doesn't begin with commands or imperative. He doesn't begin with instructions to do this or to do that. The first instruction, which is uh, inferred in verses 1 through 4 that we read, and clearly spread out in verse 10, is instead of changing this, doing that, he says, you and I have to know something. We have to remember something. We have to embrace into our hearts and warm our hearts with something. The solution to living this life isn't begin to do, isn't begin to change. It's to know, to remember, and to remind. What? You've been raised with Christ. You're seated at the right hand of Is this good news to anybody? You're dead. The old you, that you're a new creation. You are hidden with God in Christ. And Paul says, you want this life? He says, you got to know this. you got to remember this. you got to embrace it in your heart. You're raised with Christ. You're seated at the right hand of God. You're hidden. You're dead. Know it. Why? 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 Why is it important? Because all of you and I know this simple, profound truth. And that is what we do flows out of who we are. Another imperatives, do, 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 flows out of indicatives. This is who you are. This is who you are. You don't live a certain way to become a certain thing. Can I say that again? You don't live a certain way to become a certain thing. God says, I've already made you a new thing so that you can live a new way. Do you see the difference? It makes all the difference in the world. Because if you grew up in church and you go straight to change this, change that, what happens? What does that mean? What happens? Talk to me. What happens? We fail. You, I think that. What else happens? We become utterly frustrated, so much so that we conclude the Christian life doesn't work. What else happens? What's that? You get totally empty, utterly empty. It's life devoid of joy, passion. So y'all are like, you're just describing me right now. What else happens? We give up. We give up. We give 
up. We just go, this just doesn't work. And what Paul says over and over again, not just here, but throughout the New Testament is this. He says, you never start with behavioral commands. You never start with things to do. You never start with things to change. He says, start here. Here's some truths that you need to know. Set your mind on them. Remember them and warm your hearts with them. This is the reason why there is a major battle for your mind right now and when you get up tomorrow. There is a battle for your mind. There is an enemy. I don't get all doo-doo-doo. There is an enemy. His name is Satan. And his goal is one thing. You get up tomorrow morning and he wants to obliterate anything you know about who God is and who you are in him. That's his goal. Because if he can get you to do that, verses 517, that's easy. Hmm. The two most important things about you and me are simple. And we're going to come back to this again and again and again and again and again. The two most important things about you and me is what we think about God. And what we think God thinks about us. Let me say it again. The two most important things, what we think about God and what we think God thinks about us is out of understanding who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us that we begin to find out how we live. Here's the challenge. We'll talk a little bit about this today. But the challenge is there are a million voices in the world that tells us who we are. A million voices in the world. This is why, the reason why it's Paul spends so much time in all of the New Testament. A million voices in the world. And the million voices in the world could be defined into two broad categories. One category is the world defines you by externals. And secondly, the world defines you by your feelings. Let's look at each one of them. The world defines you by externals. What do I mean? One, the world says you are how you look. You know, we spent like, or women spent like $35 billion on cosmetics last year. $35 billion. Uh, health, fitness industry, almost $100 billion. Uh, I'm dating myself. Does anybody remember Billy Crystal's character, Fernando, in Saturday Night Live, like a long time ago? <laughs> I was like, should I talk about this? Because like 90% of people are like, Who's Billy Crystal? <laughs> Billy Crystal had this character. His name was Fernando. And his saying was this. And some of you old enough, you'll remember. Remember he used to go, you look marvelous. And he would say, how you feel is what? How you look. Or how you look is how you feel. You're like laughing. But you believe that. You're sitting here today and your entire identity is wrapped around how uh, look. Secondly, world says success. Again, external. The success is bank account, who you have next to you, what you drive, your house, your career, your grades, what school, what grad school, how many degrees. And you fail at any of those, devastation. And then there's some of us today, and it's a little close to home. Your identity is wrapped around what other people have said about you. That has shaped and formed you. And when it was a powerful voice like parents or authority figure, you are walking around today, even 10 years later, saying, I'm a loser. I will never amount to anything. Who will love me? Who would want to be with me? I'll never succeed. I'm an utter failure. The world says, and Satan goes, 
Believe it, believe it, believe it. All externals, what you do, what you have, your job, accomplishments, everything is externals. And then it gets really complicated because also the world defines truth, identity by how we feel. How we feel. The world says how you feel often dictates who we think we are and what we think we can do. Feelings are scary. Feelings, emotions, sadness, happiness, joy. All the men are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> feelings, men, feelings, emotions. You guys have talked, you guys heard me talk about this before, and I'm not gonna spend too much. The reason why it's so dangerous for us to determine reality or parameter reality based on our feelings is that our feelings often contradict, not just from day to day, from moment by moment. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I wanna be loved. I want to be totally independent. You feel both of those very strongly. I want to be loved, but I want to be totally, they can't exist together. Marriages, this is the reason why our marriages are in trouble. You want to be loved, but you want to be totally, you don't want to answer anybody. You want to do your own thing. They don't exist, but we feel strongly. I want to be thin. I want to eat that entire gallon of Haagen-Dazs ice cream. Well, which one do you want to do? Do you realize how dangerous it is when you determine reality by how you feel? The reason why some of us are where we are today is because in our heart of hearts, we are saying, I determine reality by what I'm feeling today. Okay, let me get to the heart of this and ask you some pointed questions. How many of you believe that God is a good God who wants the very best for your life? Raise your hands. How many of you feel like God is accomplishing great things in your life right now? Question. How many of you believe that God loves you unconditionally? How many of you feel unconditionally loved by God after you sin? How many of you believe that Christ has washed us clean all of our sins. How many of you right now feel completely holy? Are you hearing what I'm saying? How many of you, uh, last one, believe that Christ rose from the dead? How many of you then feel like you could live as victorious as Christ every second, every day of your life? You see the point? You see my point? And this is so powerful because you don't even realize it's happening. It's almost unconscious. Satan goes, you don't feel that. No, I feel abandoned by God. You don't feel that. No, I don't feel forgiven. You don't feel that. No, I don't feel love. You don't feel that. And we go, what I feel determines reality. And reality gets skewed. And we walk around totally defeated. We can act on what is true as revealed by God. But we can act on what is real. Church, we can allow our experiences to interpret truth. Or we can let truth interpret our experiences. Can I say that again? You and I could let our experiences of what we feel interpret truth. So this is what I experience. This is what I feel. So therefore, this is what I think of that truth. Or we can go, truth, God says, and that interprets for me what I feel and what I experience.
battle for our minds. Uh, one, one last thing before we kind of jump in verse by verse. Uh, how many of you will feel like going to work tomorrow morning when you wake up? <laughs> how many of you will go to work tomorrow morning when you wake up? Of course you will. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing what we can get ourselves to do regardless of whether we feel. And some silly things like that. And we important things we get backwards. Like, I don't feel like it. So that is going to determine what I actually can do and what I actually will do. Wow. Set your minds, Paul says. Before any of these behaviors, set your minds. Why? Battlefield, 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 battlefield. Set your heart. Why? Because you think this is what I feel. So that's you. Set your heart, things above. Set your mind, things above. Every second, every moment, every day. Confession, I don't always feel holy and righteous. I don't always feel holy and righteous. Are you kidding me? Most days, I don't feel even remotely holy and righteous. And that's when I have to lean into what? God says, Christ is in me. I'm in Christ. And right now, he sees me as holy, blameless, pure, righteous, sinless. Truth. All right. Well, uh, uh, so I'm going to, verses 1 to 4, show you what happened today. Now, I'm not going to do magic for you. I'm like, show you what happened today. Or like, there's nothing on the table, Peter. No, I'm like, so this is for, okay. Let me show you what happened today, okay. And then we're going to draw the implications that are going to be life-transforming for us. Okay, so, all right. Really, no hand for Tupperware? Really? So, some of y'all, some of y'all are like, some of y'all are like, oh, what's he, what's he doing? Now, I see, sometimes Bible passages like seated and right and minor, hidden. And so I want to illustrate for you, and those of you that have been around your community for a while, I could do this every week. Matter of fact, I had a young sister who, who made a miniature version of this. And I thought, you know, I could sell that. I could make multiple copies of that and sell that. It's like more important than you buy. Um, look at the verses one more time. Watch, watch this. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. I know you're like, ah, oh, kind of, what does that mean, Peter? Grasp me at verse 3. For you died and your life is not hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Here's the truth that you and I need to come around. At the moment of conversion, the moment that you and I go, Jesus Christ, I confess my sins. Come into my life and be my Savior and Lord. I want to live for you. That moment, the Bible says, you become so joined with God. You, you become so joined with Christ. You become so one with Christ. You become, here's Paul's word, identified with Christ. That when God sees you, he sees you and me as having done everything that Christ did. So, when we become a Christian and Christ dies, God says, no, no, Christ died. You died. Listen. When Christ rose from the dead, God says, you rose from the dead. And when the Bible says Christ ascended to the right hand of God, I don't even know what to make of that. Because if you were to ask me, like, Peter, where am I right now? The Bible says you are at the right hand of God. And you'll see why. 
Bible says everything. God sees the workings of Christ in his death, resurrection, and ascension as having been true of you. You are so identified. Now, in order to get there, you go, okay, we have to begin here. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the earth, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Church, where are you? Can you see? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's you. Okay. That's you. You're in. Uh, not only that, but uh, let me show you something. Not only are we in sin, Paul says, but uh, yeah, sin is in you. And you know why this is important? Because it's sort of cliche these days to go, Jesus died for the sins of the world. Jesus died for the injustice of the world. Jesus died. Gospel says Jesus died for sin in you and me. Gospel says Jesus died for injustice, not just out there, in you and me. Uh, Gospel says Jesus died for evil, not just out there, but in you and me. We're in sin. Sin is in us. At the core, the Bible says, of who we are. We're in sin, and sin is in us. Sin didn't just describe what we did, church. I got to say this. Sin didn't describe sin described what we were. It's not just that we're sinners because we sin, but we sin because at our core, the Bible says, we're sinners. You sit there and go, oh. What's that look like? I can't tell you the number of times in my 20-some years of ministry, somebody's come up to me and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do I just heard this two weeks ago. I don't want to do this. It's destroying me. It's destroying my family. It's destroying me. I don't want to do this anymore. Do you know why that person is having such a hard time with that? You can relate, right? Because we live in a culture of self-help, self-improvement, do it yourself. And secondly, we live in a culture that doesn't want to believe that people are incense. In we live in a culture that wants to believe that inherently we are good until you have children. And it just goes out the window. The Bible says, before we get to the good news, and the only way to get to the good news is the power. We're in sin. Sin is in us. I've had people who will run, who will run towards a destructive, unhealthy behavior addiction. And they blow past moral conviction. They blow past. They just, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Blow past it. And they go, I can't stop. What, what? We're in sin. Sin is in us. Do you know what the gospel says, you guys? Here's the bad news we get to the good news. The Bible says we're not just bad people who need a better church or better teaching or better more environment. The gospel doesn't talk about Christ coming and saving bad people. The Bible talks about Christ saving dead people. The Bible says Christ came to rescue not bad people who if you just gave a little bit of teaching and show them the way they can pick themselves up and do better. The Bible says God came to people who are in sin and sin is in us. Now, let's real quick before we move on. Some of you are going to have a hard time with this because you're like, man, 
That reminds me of the church I grew up in. That's all they talked about was sin, 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 sin. Some of you, not Christian, you're going, I don't believe that people are inherently bad. I think here's what you need to know. Unless we get the grasp of this, unless we fall on our knees with the helplessness, with an utter God, I don't know what to do. Unless we are at a point of utter desperation of this and the reality of this, what Christ came to do to rescue, to forgive, to redeem, and to save will not make any sense. It is the people in our church who come week after week who go, that's me. I'm in sin. Sin isn't me. I do stuff I don't ever want to do. Who will rescue me that understand the depth of the gospel? So what did Jesus do? The wonderful that Jesus didn't come and go, here's a book. Do what it says, and you'll be free. Isn't that the gospel we heard growing up in church? Say amen if it is. Do you know what Jesus did? (laughs) Sorry, I'm hot right now, so this is me fanning myself. I am so hot right now. I'm not feeling well. I've kind of had the flu. Look at the next verse. Oh, my gosh. Look at the next verse. It says, Colossians 1.13, this is the book we're studying. For, the, for he has what? Say it. Say it like you mean it. For he has what? Rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Check this out. We're innocent sinners in us. Minding our own business. We're just going about our day, acting foolish. Going after, hard after that thing we know we ought not do. And what does God do? God comes along and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rescue you, take you out from the dominion of sin and darkness. Do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is not, here's better teaching. So do it. The gospel is, he rescued me. Is that good news? Oh, my goodness. He rescued me. While we were still sinners, while we were still in sin, sin in us, spiritually dead, unable, frankly, unwilling to seek God, love God, do anything of God. God comes, seeks us, and rescues us. Jesus did not come, listen, as a teacher, giving us better teaching. He came as a Savior to say, I am going to rescue you from death, darkness, and sin. Is that good news? Church, man, he comes into our environment of death. And through his life, you're sitting there going, why, is, why, why am I just out there floating? I'll show you in a second, okay? He rescues us. And through his perfect life, living the life we should have lived, and through his death, which takes upon the sins of the world, and through his resurrection, which busts, excuse me, the hell out of hell. He busts us out from the grips of hell, grips of sin, grips of death. He rescues us. Religion doesn't free you from that. Religion does not free you from that. Christ frees you from that. He comes and rescues you. And you know what he does? Because that right there, we'll talk about next week, that's pretty darn sweet in and of itself. Like, I'm free, I'm forgiven, I don't owe God anything, I'm... God doesn't just stop there. What does he do? Oh, man. What does he do? 
He transports us from the kingdom of darkness, and he what? Brings us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. That means if you're a Christian spiritually, you've got a new zip code. You've got a new address. Is this good news? Do you? See, the reason why we're like, nah, the reason why, verses 517, I can't do that, is because we don't, sorry, Jesus, understand this. We don't understand because if you did, look at Romans chapter 6, verse 11. So count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Where are you if you're a Christian? You're what? In Christ. Do you know what that means? Among other things, that means that when God sees you, right now, he mostly sees Jesus. That means when God thinks about you right now, he's mostly thinking about Jesus. Oh, my goodness. The eternal creator God of the universe, right now, I'm going to do this. Right now, you're sitting here, mind your own business, picking your notes, taking your notes, but whatever you're doing. God says, if you're in Christ, he goes, when I look at you right now, I mostly see my son. But when, I, when I think about you right now, I don't think about what you were doing last night. I don't. When I think about you right now, I think of my son Jesus. The amazing truth of the gospel is when he sees you right now, I know it's hard to believe. When he sees you right now, he sees you as he sees you, which means he sees you sinless, pure, blameless, holy, righteous. Well, I don't act holy. We know that. I don't act very righteous. We know that. But the Bible says when God sees you, he mostly sees Jesus. And what God thinks about you, he mostly thinks about Jesus. And so we talk about it all the time. You're sitting there going, why is he always talking about how we're accepted, approved, and embraced? It's not you. It's what God thinks about Jesus. And Jesus, hello, is pure, blameless, righteous, holy. And he is, excuse me, fully accepted, fully embraced, fully favored by God. This is who you are. Is this good news? Question. What did you do to get out of here? To get into this? Say it louder. You and I did just what? You and I didn't do anything. It wasn't our moral might. It wasn't because I was a good person. It was because I tried really hard. It wasn't because I obeyed these things. We did nothing. Not nada. Not beginning. Not the end. We did nothing to be transferred from kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So why are you walking around with the swag like you had something to do with it? Mm. I'm serious. This is why. Non-Christians look at Christians and go, why would I want to be a Christian? Because you and I become self-righteous. Do you know why I become self-righteous? Because we actually believe we had some part to play in this. And God says, you did nothing. You just need to sit on this today. 
This is the reason why we say the determining factor in our relationship with God is not our past or our present, but what? Christ's past and Christ's present. That means that if you had a good Saturday, that God's going to hear your praise on Saturday. But if you had a good, bad Sunday, that God, it doesn't mean either that. It doesn't matter what your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday was. God says those things don't determine whether I hear your prayers. The determining factor in your relationship with me, God says, is not about anything you do. It's about everything that I've done. This is the gospel. Is this good news? Question, is this real to you? Christianity is not. Listen, listen. You need to get, if you don't get anything from today's sermon series, you need to get this. Because if you're tired, I don't want to fail, I'm frustrated. If you're like, I want to give up, I hate being a Christian. But the entire teaching of the Bible is understanding this text. Christianity does not come to you and me and go, be holy, be righteous, be sexually pure. Then God will accept you. God says, you are in Christ, sister, brother. And that means you are already pure. You are already holy. You are already blameless. So grow into that, will you? Become what you are, will you? Real change is possible when we realize that God loves us whether we change or not. The only people who make any progress towards being better are those who will realize that God will still love you even if you never get any better. And no, this isn't some gospel grace card to live like moral morons. But it's God going, hey, it's my loving kindness that leads to repentance. Hey, I will never let you go no matter what. I will never forsake you no matter what. I will love you unconditionally no matter what. Can that be your motivation to go, well, I want to love you right back then? This is pretty cool, isn't it? But it gets better. We're not done. Because not only does God take sin and remove us, get in there. Not only do we get placed in Christ, but Jesus comes to live in us. You get extra. You didn't have to pay for extra. You get extra. Look at what the Bible says. Colossians 1.27. To them God has made known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Say it with me, church. Ready? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God says, I'm going to put something inside of you. Totally different side of you. You're going to be born again by the power of God. And he takes us and he places miraculously the life of Christ into our lives. When you become a Christian, you don't receive a bunch of teaching. You receive a person. The life of the Son of God. Not just some of him, all of him. The amazing thing is, when you get placed in Christ, Christ is in you. Physically, we still look the same. You know, if you have a receding hairline, you'll still have a receding hairline. Until, I don't know, resurrection, maybe we got a hair back, I'm not sure. 
If you're kind of quirky personality-wise, you may, but you know what Bible says? Bible says, do you know that a fundamental change has happened in the core of who you are? 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I said this on Easter. I can say it every Sunday. Do you know what that means? That means, and every single one of us going, I'm not the man I want to be. We all know that. But I am not the man I once was. I am becoming somebody new. And that old sin self wants to get his claws in me and say, you still? And the Bible says, yeah, that's real. That's powerful. But I'm being remade, reborn. I've got the DNA of the resurrected life of God in me. And man, when I fall, secure in Christ, I go to God and I say, God, forgive me. And I confess and repent right away. And when I fault and hurt other people, I go to other people. And with security in Christ, I make amends. But here's what I don't do. I don't allow my sin, my failure to define who I am. Because that's not me. Who are you? Holly, who are you? You are. And Christ is. Tim Bolt, who are you? I am in <laughs> Visitors are like, I knew this was a cult. He's brainwashing them. <laughs> I am brainwashing you guys in a good way. <laughs> is this good news, church? Man, you guys... You guys, I don't know if it's just like too much to over, too much to handle. I don't, that's some of you. Some of you are like, you're not describing my life right now, okay? Because I'm a Christian and none of that, that's you and me. And we'll get to that in the next few weeks. And some of us are just sitting there going, wah, wah, wah. Here's what you need to know. The old you, time is ticking on that old you. Tick, tock, tick, tock, tick. Old Peter with his anger issues. Tick, tock, tick. Old Peter with his lust issues. Tick, Talk, tick, talk. The old Peter that likes to be sarcastic and make fun of people. Well, I like that part of me, so that's going to stay. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Can I show you one others? Can I show you one more? Can I show you one more? This is amazing. Can I show you one more? Because it's not just Christ in you, you in Christ. But guess what the Bible says? Somebody started clapping. You ought to clap for this. Because here's what the Bible says. And we just read this passage and you blew right by it. You're like, that? Look what it says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Everybody read this with me together. Ready? For you die and your life is hidden with Christ. Where? Some of you are tearing up. You in Christ. Christ in you. You and Christ, where? In God. And this is why it's amazing to me that we got transfer people. Anybody been transferred? Anybody new zip code? Anybody? Anybody? Say amen. Yes? We got transfer people walking around going, I don't know if anybody loves me. I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if God's going to forgive me. I don't know. Can I mount anything? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe my sins will separate me from God. Who is going to separate you from God? If someone wants to separate you from God, this is what they have to do. They have to break open the Almighty God. They have to break open Jesus. 
Vent gets you. Are you kidding me, Satan? You think Satan can separate you from God? Satan is walking around. Satan is walking around in hell right now going, what the heck happened? What happened? All we knew was the Son of God, we killed him, but he rose from the dead. And now his life is inside every follower of his. You think Satan could separate Satan, Satan and all of hell knows that Christ is in you, you are in Christ, and y'all are in God. What? Well, you think you could separate yourself from God? But Peter, I do some bad things. Uh, Romans 8, 31, 33. There is nothing in all creation that could ever, what? Separate you from love of God. Last time I checked, you're a creation. I'm sorry, there was one more. Because if you think you're like, I don't know, you need to, you need to, there's one more. <laughs> and it's Ephesians 4.30. And we do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. With whom, read this with me, ready? With whom you were sealed. Christ in you, you in Christ, you and Christ in God. Holy Spirit. Until when? Can you get more secure than that? This means that until the day Jesus comes in all glory and says, everything's new, you are secure. <laughs> Do you know what would happen if this truth became real to us? This world would change. This planet would change. If every Christian got a hold of this truth. Uh, you go, what, what truth, Peter? You guys were given a handout, okay? And we're going to do a little participatory thing right now, okay? Because inside your handout, you got a series of I am sayings. And turn to the front part where it says I am. And here's what we're going to do, okay? Because I know Satan could hear this, but just to make sure he could hear you, we're just going to read this together. I'll kind of lead. We're just going to read it together. We're going to just declare this together, okay? And we're going to call it a day. You ready? Everybody ready? And, whoa, was that you, Bridget? Here we go. Ready? I am. Check this out. You don't have to do the, you know, scripture passages because God knows and Satan knows. Hurry, hurry. I am complete in him, free forever since power, loved eternally, eternally kept in the palm of his hands, not condemned, one with the Lord, quickened by his mighty power, seated in heavenly power, hidden with Christ in God, protected from the evil one, kept by the power of God, secure in Christ, set on a rock, more than a conqueror, a victor, healed by his stripes, sheltered under his wings. I can do all things through Christ, find mercy and grace in times of need, come boldly to the throne of grace, quench all the fiery darts, defeat and overcome the enemy, tread Satan underfoot. I cannot be separated from God's love, be lost or perish, be moved, be taken out of my father's hands, be charged or accused, be condemned. Flip it over. 
I am God's possession, child, workmanship, friend, temple, vessel, co-laborer, ambassador, chosen, beloved. I have been set free from sin and condemnation, set free from Satan's control, set free from Satan's kingdom, chosen before the foundation of the world, predestined to be like Jesus, forgiven of all my sins, washed in the blood of the Lamb, given the Holy Spirit, adopted into God's family, justified freely by His grace, given all things for life of godliness, authority over the life of the enemy, and access to God. And finally, I have access to the Father, a living hope, an anchor to my soul, a hope that is secure and steadfast, power to witness the mind of Christ, boldness and access, and peace with God. Oh, what would happen if this what would happen if this this is what Paul says set your mind on things above set your heart on what would happen if the truth of these things became supernaturally holy fire of God seared into our souls. What would happen? Where we're going for the next upcoming weeks is the Bible says, behold what manner of love. Behold manner of Do you know what that means? Come here, son. Behold. Brother in Christ, behold means take and say, look. <laughs> look. Imagine I'm Jesus, this is you. <laughs> well, actually, that's ironic since you look like that. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> behold, behold. Let me listen, listen, see right here. How many of you, see right here, don't go How many of you, how many of you feel right now to sense of encouragement, sense of hope? How many of you? Do you know why you feel that? What do you think we've been doing for the last 45, 50 minutes? We've been what? Beholding. That's all I've done. Sunday in and Sunday out. That's all I did for the last 50 minutes. I said to you, look, 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 look. That's all I did. Do you know what Christian life is? It's not about you coming on Sundays and listening to a sermon singing songs. It's you every day with Jesus where God goes, look. Look, We're not doing that. We're not doing that. We are not. That's why we walk around. And God's going, you in Christ, Christ in you, you and Christ in God. He says, behold, behold. Actually, here's a picture I want to leave with you. All I do Sunday after Sunday. And that's the only thing that I can do for you. Because you will walk out hopeless if I came up and said, stop being sexually immoral, don't be lost. All I can do is grab you by your shirt and go, hold. Look. Look. That's what Paul means when
when he says, set your mind about, set your heart, we'll talk about it. He's saying, look at who you are. Look, look, look. One last thing. Uh, in your cubicle tomorrow, in your cubicle tomorrow, or in your study all tomorrow, Jesus is there with you. You hear me? Your boss might not notice, you know. He may say, Jesus Christ, but I don't think he's talking about what you're talking about. To which you can say, hey, by the way, I'm going to go to a store. And as I check out, somebody goes, uh, what's your zip code? What's your email? Try this this week. My zip code, in Christ. <laughs> yeah. I've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. My new zip code address, it's in Christ. That's who I am. That's who I am. Christ in me. Me in Christ. Me in Christ. In God. Church, let's pray. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Behold, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What is your hiding place? What is your hiding place? The psalmist says in Psalm 32, 7, You are my hiding place. And when I am afraid, I will trust in you. You, Jesus, are my hiding place. Because I have been hidden with Christ in God. You are my hiding place. Behold, behold what manner of love the Father. Ask yourself this week as you pray, where is my true hiding place? What is my hope of glory? Where am I warming my heart and my soul at? What is really my righteousness? What is really my light? What is really my life? And warm yourself at the fire of the cross and say, nothing is more valuable than that. Nothing is of worth more than that. Nothing. Give me Jesus. Give me. Give me.